No excuses with the squad this week. Was Ralph outwitted by Graham Potter? Is there a drought in the Saints Academy? Just how much do we miss Theo Walcott? And how big is the game this Saturday on the South Coast against Bournemouth? All will be discussed in the podcast that talks everything football, all things Saints. My name is Tom Murray. My name is Callum Wilson and this is Under the Lights. So, yeah, mate, (laughs) we were joking at the end of when we finished recording the podcast last week that we've gone all about, oh, yeah, we'll beat Brighton, it'll be fine. Didn't really happen. Didn't really go that way, did it? Yeah, the the kind of forced optimism, I think, was was maybe there. I mean, we said that Brighton would be a tough game, but I think maybe we got carried away a little bit with the idea that we could foresee what might happen in the future if we got a couple of wins if we could then focus on our rotation of the squad, looking at the cup games. But we, we needed to get something against Brighton and, and certainly in the next couple of games now against uh, Burnley, West Brom, Palace, just to, to give us the impetus. But um, it was uh, it was a pretty dire showing. And after discussing just, just how good we looked against Sheffield United and in part against Man City, thought we might be able to take that on into this run of fixtures, which is quite favourable. Um, and certainly give Brighton more of a game than we did. Um, and to, to be honest with you, they, they just outplayed us, I, I think, pretty much all over the park. We said that they're hard to beat. We said that we never have an easy game against Brighton and that their league position doesn't really reflect how good a team they are. But with the players that we had available, everyone predicted the same team. You know, it was only Romeo and, and Romeo Walcott who's been out for a while in Nings. We knew he was going to play. We're happy that we had a decent enough squad. We should be doing better than that. When the lineup came out, I was, I was really pleased. It was strong. Walker Pieces was back in Diallo. It's sort of, aside from Mings, it was like one of the stronger lineups that we've had for quite some time. And it was straight, it was a strange game because I, I was watching it with my dad. And even when we went 1-0 down, in that first half, we actually looked decent enough. And I was confident at that point that we could still turn it around. I still have no idea how that header from pretty much the edge of the box makes it past Fraser Forster. But when Adams then scored to make it 1-1, we then had sort of that period of play afterwards where we were on top and could have easily taken the lead in like the few minutes after after we equalised. The, the really worrying part was the second half. You know, we come out in the second half and I thought, OK, we've got 45 minutes to turn this around completely. But as soon as Brighton scored and they were on top for pretty much the first 10 minutes of the first of the second half, once they scored, any belief I had that we were even going to get a draw just sort of went. And I don't know why I put myself through the remaining half an hour thinking that we were going to get a goal when we were... After all of that, we were lucky to even get a bloody shot in. Yeah, yeah, we were really poor second half. And I, when chasing the game, but I, I, I wouldn't, I'd use that nothing more than a cliche because I don't think we really chased anything. Can you chase things backwards? Because that's the only direction we were going in. Yeah, we, I mean, we looked, we looked like, it looked like both sides were defending a lead. You know, it, it didn't look like we, we had, like we needed a goal. We were losing the game. Let's go back to the, to the first half then. So, yeah, more, more even, but I still felt that Brighton were comfortable. I felt that we didn't at any stage get our passing game going. And that's that's because Graham Potter's Seagulls essentially outplayed us at our own game off the ball. They were better uh, in possession because we didn't have our usual pressing game, weren't setting those traps. 
uh, weren't pressing together. And when we had the ball, I thought Brighton were hounding us down at every opportunity. Um, and, we, and we weren't able to cope with it. Our passing game was poor, even, even as far as James Ward-Prowse was giving balls away. And that, and that rarely happens. Uh, so, so I felt that Brighton came to us, attacked us and um, took us on at our own game, played the same formation. They, they, were, they were the better team, I would say, in the first half. Um, but it was it was relatively even, um, and and that goal from Dunk, I mean it's a fantastic header. My first thoughts were Forster should be doing better with that. It almost looked like he might have had his his eyesight blocked, but I don't think he did. It was a really good header, and I think that's something off the training ground. They realised the way in which Saints set up the big men, uh, the Vestergaards, the Bednaraks, obviously Forster. Uh, in the six-yard box. They kept the ball away from that area because we like to mark zonally with the big men across the six-yard box and then try and pick up the, the attacking threats like Dunk with some of our defensive players, but maybe those that aren't quite as tall, i.e. Bertrand. Uh, so Bertrand man-marked him and the idea is that if the ball comes anywhere near the goal, Vestergaard or Bednarak or someone will go and win the header or challenge, but it never went anywhere near them and essentially the ball went what, 14, 15 yards from goal in line with the near post? And it was a, a straight tussle between Dunk and, and Bertrand. Only one player is going to win that. But it's the fact that we, we defend in that way because we don't expect that we're going to concede a header from 15 yards. And we really shouldn't have. You know, I, I think Forster should have saved that. Uh, he's been playing really well. And, um, you know, it's only fair that when McCarthy makes mistakes and they're, they're brought up that, the same's done for Forster. So, yeah, although it's a really good header, if you're a Brighton fan, you're thinking, oh, fantastic header. Captain Marvel scored again, second top goal scorer for them. But from a Slampton point of view, um, we were picked apart a little bit from the kind of research they did on our defending of set pieces. And he did everything he, he possibly could, Lewis Dunk, to capitalise on that. One thing I saw, we talked about in the, la the last podcast about how Brighton had so many expected goals. And you certainly saw evidence of that in the first half because they had a couple of really guilted chances, uh, gross especially. And, you know, we talk about the negatives of Forster. He still made some fantastic saves, I thought, especially that one where he's just about got his toe to it and poked it around the post. So, yeah. you know, credit, he did make a good save, but Brighton really should have been a, a couple of goals in the lead by halftime with the chances they were getting. The only positive you can really take from the game as a, as a Saints fan is that Shea Adams has hit form at the, at the right time when Ings is out. But you can't just rely on him when the other 10 aren't doing really much to create it. The only reason he got his goal and it was a terrific finish uh, was you know a bit of luck dunk misjudging the header and it falling to him pretty much where every single goal he scored at St Mary's bar the one against City he scored from that right corner of the six yard box and he was in there at the right place at the right time but the only real positive of the game it, it was a, it was a game that I came as soon as the full-time whistle went I just felt really really disappointed because you know we played well against Sheffield United we played well against Man City and it was just, it was just poor. It was, it yeah, was it was crap. Yeah, I feel, I feel like we, I feel like we in the first half we made a bit more of a fist of it. But I'm really struggling to remember real chances. I think Brighton defended well. I think there were times where Brighton players sort of flung themselves at the ball. Or I remember kind of not head in hands, but almost, almost getting off my seat, thinking we'd scored a goal. But just struggling off the top of my head to actually remember any, any 
guilt-edged chances. For, for that goal, ironically, the two players that were involved in in the goal for Brighton, uh, Bertrand and Dunk, this time Bertrand did well with a free header, just about gets it over Dunk, who, who, who makes contact but can't stop it going to Adams, and he rifles it um, into that near post past Sanchez. But and, and it looked for a second, well, not for a second, for a good 10 minutes, like we were going to push from there. I think Brighton had been better up to that point. Then we scored and we kind of had the, the wind in our sails. And that's when we kind of huffed and puffed. But there weren't any any real great saves. Uh, there weren't too many from Sanchez. And then um, got to half time, and they make a change, Brighton. And the manager's proactive, which is something that Ralph has maybe been criticised for not being. In the past, they they made a sub at half time. It wasn't injury; it was it was tactical, and they controlled the entire second half. and And for the first time I can remember, Ralph Hasenhutl changed from the four two 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 formation, played played a four three three in the end to try and and fix things. But it just looks like there was a kind of a tactical ineptitude a bit. You know, we never we never stray from that formation when we needed to find an answer wasn't really there. Um, and, and I don't know, what do you think? You know, how much of that is down to the manager, but how much is it down to the players? Because you, you can you can moan about the tactics all you like, but there were very few players whose body language on the pitch looked like they had any intention to to get anything from that game. You know, asking for effort is isn't, you know, you're not asking a lot. Yeah, you know, asking someone to run around, you can do that to you to your blue in the face. But yeah, tactically, we might not get things right. But there didn't seem to be any any kind of enthusiasm or effort from the players themselves. So there was enough from Ralph and enough waving his arms in the air and, and he, he looked really frustrated. But we kind of just ended that game with... Um, it kind of just fizzled out for us, really. Yeah, there was actually one point, I think it was with about 15 minutes or 20 minutes to go, where we were... I think Walker-Peters had it and I was looking to see who was in and around the box and Shea Adams was the only person stood even close to the penalty area on his own with about four Brighton players boxing him in. And no one was making a move, movement. And, you know, I, I consider Walker Peters to be probably one of our best attacking threats in terms of actively carrying the ball forward, playing that forward pass. But no one was making the runs for him and he didn't seem to want to play those forward balls either. And we did the fact that I think Every time we got close to the Brighton penalty area, the ball seemed to make its way back to Forster or Bednarik on the set on in the centre of the pitch. And as you said, we were we were playing round like we were one nil up and just seeing the game out. Like you said, apart from the the Shea Adams shot in the second half, which then was given as a free kick on the edge of the box, I can't remember any actual times we really threatened even getting near the penalty area in the second half. And I think someone made a joke on Twitter how Nathan Redmond's biggest contribution of the game and the most energy he actually used was having a little chat with Adam Lalana. I mean, mm. it was well, just—it was just the body language was really quite a worry because we had no, there was little to no intention of even trying to get back into that game in the second half. You know, Ralph can wave his arms all all he likes, but as you said, there's you can only scream at your players as as much as you can from the side he can't actually alter the game in terms of how the players play the game and we were just we were really poor and it was just sideways football and yes Brighton played very very well they deserved their win I was saying to my dad when we were watching it Saints don't even deserve a draw and if we were to get a draw it would be uh it would, it would be daylight robbery 
because we just we were just worth nothing in that game. Well, we said in the last in the last podcast when when previewing this that very rarely do we come away from a Brighton game um, thinking we didn't get what we deserved. We often get more than we deserved. Um, and and credit to them, they, you know, they they were they were well worth the three points, um, and they played in a way that um, I think shows what they should be about this season and maybe more games should have panned out in their favour um, as they, as it did on Sunday. Um, and obviously the winner, although I think they were well worth the, the, the win, uh, the winning goal from a Southampton point of view was really frustrating. You could see it coming. They do look intricate around the box, Brighton, but I mean, as soon as the BBC commentator said uh, Trossard's only scored two goals in 24 games, um, you knew the writing was on the wall then. But for him to kind of... They, they play intricate stuff. Malpai had a shot um, in the first half at Forster saved and they scored from the from the subsequent corner. Welbeck, neat and tidy, flicks around the box. But it almost looked like a parting of the Red Sea for, for Trossard and just how much space there was between the two centre-backs for for that goal, for him to just go through and then rifle it into the top corner, forced a no chance. But really disappointed with with just how open we were defensively, especially considering that we weren't exactly hit on the counter-attack often in that second half. I mean, we were camped in our own half for much of it. So for our shape and our kind of rigidity to, to really collapse there and allow a player through who, who doesn't score many goals... Um, was was quite poor, and I have noticed that a few times in 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 the last few weeks. That some that a lot of goals have come between our centre backs or between a centre back and a full back, and it's hard to it's hard to say whose fault that is because at different times different players can see what's happening. But that came through the middle, and uh, Vestergaard and Bednarak really should be tighter. They should be communicating, and and if anything, someone should be sweeping. Whereas we were flat footed. There was a space between the two of them and Trossard just had the freedom of St Mary's to kind of skip through and pick his spot, which he did um, emphatically. And as you say, from that point onwards, we never looked like getting back in the game. Yeah, the goal was just far too easy. And, you know, you, can, you can't play that one-two pass between the two centre-backs that it, it was, yeah, intricate play. But it just, it, it looked far, it looked just far too easy. And it was horrible because you could see, you could see it coming. And with that defeat, we're now got nine games left of the season. We're still seven points clear of the relegation zone. How much goodwill do you think Ralph has got left? Because let's not deny it. As brilliant as we were at the start of the season, our run of form seemed to start going downhill from 12 games in. Now that's not playing well for the majority of the season and having a bit of a blip. That's now playing poorly for the majority of the season with a little purple patch at the start. It's, 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 I'd, I'd just say it's a split season. First half brilliant, second half um, not so. I, I think Ralph's got job security. Um, I don't think he's going to get the sack. You know, even with this run of form, um, I don't think he'll get the sack. I think the board have massively gambled on him. Um, you're not just talking bringing in a, a manager and giving him a contract. They've, they've let him run the club. You know, he, we're, we're going to go on to this, but you know the playbook, the way in which he's um, changed the academies. They all play in a in a way that is consistent with his philosophy. When the first team, he's not a massively well paid Premier League manager. We all know that. 
um, and and he's not long um, renewed his, his contract, so so he's under contract, and he is a manager that is, I I, I wouldn't say he's happy, but he's coping day to day with no funding, which is something that that the manager will have to do. So it's not like the board have thrown him a, a, a chest of money and he's gone, spent it all, and, and he's giving us this kind of form. It, it, yeah, the buck does stop with the board. They can't expect him to, to um, perform miracles. And from their point of view, who are they going to get that's going to be on less of a wage, is not going to demand loads of transfer cash, and it would have to completely revamp the club because he's he's been given seems to me almost like like complete free reign and control because of what we think he can do and what we've seen that he can do before so anyone that did come in would have to be playing in a very similar style i would say well kenny jacket is available well this, this is true agent kenny can come back onto the coaching staff i, I imagine with, he's very uh, good at getting us scoring four goals in a game very good. But what, what I would say, I, I'll, I'll pose this question to you, is with Ralph and the talk being, you know, should he stay, should he go? And with each game like the Brighton one, like the Everton one, like the Newcastle one, like the Man United one, with every game like that that happens, people move more and more away from the kind of blind following of, of Haas Nittle and more into the he's not perfect. Away from Ralph in, dare I say it, towards Ralph out. And I mean, we'll ask this question. You know, I, I know your answer to this, but you know, should Ralph go? But what I'm what I'm more interested in knowing is is the only thing that's keeping him at the club the memory of how good we were earlier in the season and the hope that that could return again. Because we know what we know what we can do. What we don't know is why we're not doing it now. I'm not quite sure what you think I'm, my answer will be, but I'm not I'm not Ralph in, and I'm not Ralph out. I'm very much sort of. In the You're middle, Ralph shake it all about. Is that exactly, you exactly. You're gonna have to get splinters out of that ass, mate, because you've because got to sitting on the fence. You, yeah, on... there's no middle ground here. You in or out? I'm. If if I'm being if I'm being completely honest, the way the season's been going, I've been slipping towards the Ralph out. And if like being, we'll talk. We'll go on to talk about later about how big the game the game is this Saturday. But the game on Saturday is our last chance, pretty much, to save the season from being just another another one i don't think we'll get relegated if we come out of the next three games against burnley west Brom, and palace with three points or less ask me that question again but even if we were to pick up three points we'd still be on 36 points with what six games to go and i know you say i can't see us not picking at least one or two points up giving our run of form that's that might actually be a realistic scenario but it, even if we were to pick up just three points from those three games we're still stuck in a position where we probably aren't going to go down. So I know what Ralph can achieve. And I've said it many times on previous podcasts that I don't want Ralph to finish his time at Saints with all of us thinking, what if, you know, what if we did back him? Because he's shown that he can do it at other clubs. Whether Saints is constantly going to be a case of, oh, we almost made it, but we never did. So let's let's be honest. He wins the FA Cup. All goodwill for Ralph. Just you know, soars through yeah, the roof. A massive, and he's a hero. It's a massive if, though, isn't it? But well, as you stand right now, are you are you yeah? If you're if you're in charge at St Mary's, are you keeping Ralph on and keeping yes. a close eye on him, or are you getting rid? I'm keeping Ralph on. If we stay up, keep Ralph on. 
for at least another year. And I want to see. No, I mean, we, right now. Right, right now, now. Right now. I keep, I, I keep him in because the guy obviously loves his job here. And it's going to be, you know, it'd be difficult to find another person who like cares as much as him, unless you're appointing, you know, a former Saints player or whatever. And so you're not Ralph out, you're Ralph in. I'm Ralph in at the moment. However, the next few results could really push me towards Ralph Outdoor. I would be seriously considering it if we don't win this weekend because that is the last game to keep this season alive. Interesting. But one one thing I did notice when uh, when I was watching that poor performance against Brighton is even though we did have players back and you've mentioned you know you Walker Peters, Diallo, etc. I what I, what I thought was I was struggling to think of who was on the bench and who could make an impact. And you mentioned that Redmond came on, Gineppo came on, who's kind of hot and cold, brings you something different. Dan and Ndulu came on at the end, not really an option, in my opinion, from the bench. So even when our squad is, I know we're not fully fit, but everyone has a few injuries here and there. You know, we're only really without Ings, Walcott and Romeo. So, you know, a few injuries. Our squad is depleted and we do have to rely on the youth players. What has been thrown about recently is that our once famed academy who produced all kinds of stars, and we don't need to go through and name them all because everyone who's listening knows exactly who they are and what they've gone on to achieve. One of them we saw on Saturday, and Adam Nalano, who had a really good game. But right now, I'm struggling to see who is the next big thing. I'd struggle to tell you who was the last big thing, and I'll tell you now that it wouldn't, it wouldn't have been within the last five years. This is an ongoing thing and has been for a while. Ronald Koeman always said that he didn't bring through the youth players because they weren't there. And that's partly the reason why he ended up leaving because he wasn't backed financially and he wasn't doing what the club wanted and bringing through those youth players that that we uh, that we were famed for. But another loss during the week against Man City, who, you know, let's be honest, they're not bad. But... We, we lost to, to the Man City, well, our B team lost 7-1, which first first question is, with the first team losing so many games by big margins, now the second team doing so, is that just something that is, is in, that is, that is, is that just something that can happen in the way in which Ralph Hasenhutl's teams play and this playbook that's obviously gone through the leagues, but also... The under-23s, this B team, second bottom in their league. The under-18s, bottom of their league. It wasn't really long ago, it didn't seem, that every single uh, age group that we had, our academy were running away with it. They were winning cups, they were winning leagues. The players were knocking on the door. Now we have players who are coming through that we need to contribute to the first team, more so than we did four or five years ago. And... Are they just not good enough? There's two ways of looking at it. You, a lot of people can say, oh, well, the, those players that would be in the, in the youth team are too busy trying to help the first team. But actually, you know, when you look at the lineup mm. for that game against Man City, Caleb Watts, who we talked about last week, he was playing. Dan and Landulu, who came on um, in, in the Premier League game against Brighton for a bit, he played. Alex Jankovic. He played. He's he's been on the bench and obviously played a couple of minutes. Um, <laughs> Kane Ramsey, captain the side. He's been in and around his second his second choice right back you know, theoretically. To Chapchet, he he was on the bench. You know, there's 
there's a lot of players there that are involved and they've just lost 7-1 to a reserve slash youth team. And it didn't, you know, this isn't like the old reserves. This didn't have kind of um, Man City B team because they've got such a good squad. You know, they didn't have Mendy playing. They didn't have Garcia and, and, and Fernandina and those types of players. They had their youth team. So what, what the questions I want to put to you are, how big a disaster if you want to call it that, is this revamp and the whole playbook because it's clearly not working with the youth players. And how much of of this is down to the fact that we just don't have the talent coming through the younger age groups in that in, in the academy anymore? Because it's been a long time. And now that we need them, our, our squad is even weaker because the youth players that are coming through just aren't up to scratch. Well, looking at the results, it obviously isn't working. And this... One thing I've noticed about Ralph Style, and well, many other people have noticed about Ralph Style is, and uh, apart from a few separate occasions that you can name on, you, you can put on one hand, is that we don't defend leads very well, and the, you know that's just the style of play that it happens. We do leave ourselves quite open. We look to win the ball high up the pitch, but it does leave us susceptible to the counter attack, and if. I don't, Obviously, the the playbook's been now in in play. Pardon the pardon the pun for about a year now, because he did that during lockdown last year. I think I think it must. Obviously, it's there's a contribution to it the fact that the, the youth players that we have at the moment just don't seem to be good enough. There's no player that we bring onto the pitch from the youth academy, and we think, wow, that's a, that he's the the next best thing to come through. Yeah, Caleb, we talked about Caleb Watts, but he's a player that has gone very much under the radar, makes a couple of neat passes, doesn't really do much. Dan and, and Ladouli, we thought would be a bit of a, a bigger hit, as it were, because he, he had a cameo against Sheffield United in the, the start of the season. And we thought, yeah, this he's, he's a good lad who can contribute. I think with the first team not doing well, that that confidence must, that lack of confidence must trickle down to the academy as well. And maybe thinking well if I can't get into the team now when the team is doing so badly then when am I going to get into the team and it's a, it's a tricky one we just seem to be bereft of decent young players who can show their ability just at the moment and one of the best academy players that we have is currently on the sidelines waiting to come back on as it were, and we'll discuss just how much an impact he he makes. But apart from you're talking, you're talking about Theo Walcott, talk about Theo, the yeah. academy graduate that left and then came back. And but here's, here's a question then for you. So so clearly we're not bringing through the players, um, and you'd probably argue that what Matt Target was maybe the last player, and he's you know he's doing well for Aston Villa at the moment, but not exactly at the level of the the players that preceded him. Um, James Ward-Prowse should probably go back to and he made his debut for Southampton in 2012 I think it was something like that so for Southampton's academy we haven't really got a local lad who's come through for a long time there's also a clear change and we're, we all heard about this uh, quite a few years back but there's a change in the way in which we wanted to develop our academy and it was rather than bringing players through from the age of five six seven like we have done we've we've wanted and rather than spending your transfer budget and 10 15 20 million on proven first team players there was a a, a 
proactive effort to scout other academies and pay a small fee in comparison to bring in what we thought were top youth players in the hope that we could almost like an idea of bringing together a, a 16-year-old dream team and then bringing them through. At the moment, Southampton's best options in terms of youth players in the academy, to help, in the B team, to help the first team out. You argue if, if you think I'm wrong, but four off the top of my head, Nathan Teller, Dan Anandulu, Caleb Watts, Kane Ramsey, probably the four closest to the senior team. I'd say the one that I think probably has the most potential is Alex Jankovic. There's been a lot of, yeah, him too. Lot of, yeah. lot of praise for him, but obviously he needs to be on the pitch longer than two minutes to really show it. Dan and Lindulu has had quite a few sub appearances, but I can't actually remember a game that he's made an impact at all. And I know that's a lot of pressure to put on a young striker, especially when, you know, your team is chasing the game and we're not even getting the ball close to the penalty area. Caleb Watts seems a bit of a, a quiet player. So you're picking the four off the top of the head and the best one we've got at the moment is Nathan Teller. And even he is very much a rough diamond at the moment. Very, very good, very pacey, a handful, but he needs to show more. Well, the, the point I, the point I want to make is that those five players, and I agree with you, the Yankovic as well, I missed him out. All five of those players came from other academies. Yankovic came from 2018 from, from Switzerland, from Servette. We've got uh, Teller from Arsenal, 2017. Uh, Ramsey from Chelsea, 2017. Caleb Watts from Queen's Park Rangers, 2018. And um, Dan and Ladulu came from Chelsea, but he came back in, in 2013. So... He, he came in as a as a kind of a 14, 15 year old still. He's 22 now. You know, he's, he's, he's not exactly a young pup, but he's he's been bought from elsewhere. And our, our younger teams are not doing what they used to do. We've not got players. I can remember the impacts of of uh, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, of Bale, of Walcott. I know these were all whilst we were in the lower leagues and it's much easier for these players to have an impact coming in through the lower leagues. I just feel since we've gone into the Premier League, we haven't found a sustainable route for youth players to come through into the first team and have an impact. James Ward-Prowse even came in just as we got promoted. You know, he came in just in that season that we won the championship and he's made his way through but it took him a fair amount of years. So it's it's really difficult. And the whole idea of a B team and how we're all together, at the end of the day, both of them are at one's bottom, under 18's a bottom, under 23's a bottom two. And it you know, I don't know how the academies work, but it's almost as if the players that know each other's game from an early age are friends, are roommates, they've made their way through the academy together. And then a few, a crop of them come in together, like we had with the likes of Shaw and Chambers and, and those those types. They came through actually in the in. They're probably the only that Pochettino slash Atkins era when we first got into Premier League. That's the last time we had players who came through. So we did have a few in the Premier League, but still, they were a lot better than what we've got now. They they knew each other's games. Now we're kind of picking players from here, there, and everywhere putting them together at the age of 16, 17 and hoping that they're going to make their way into the first team. And right now it doesn't look like it's working. Not at all. There doesn't seem to be any sort of gelling. One one player that sort of came to mind as maybe one that we missed out on was 
Harrison Reed. He's now a decent enough player for Fulham. Obviously, he wasn't getting the chances here, and we kept on he kept on having seasons here where he wanted to get in, but we 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 just we just didn't play him. And you know, fair play to him. He like Target. He left to go and get first team opportunities, and he's reaping the rewards of that. And he's playing consistently at the Premier League level. And I always thought he was a good enough good enough player. And certainly we. You know, we need him with Romeo injured, and just he was a good option, I thought. But it, it, that's the thing, though. That's the thing, though, Tom, isn't it? Sorry, but he, he's always a good option for backup. Mm. He's fourth choice centre midfielder if he's with us now. You know, Diallo's ahead of him, Will Prowse is obviously ahead of him, and so is Romeo. These sorts of players, you know, it's all well and good keeping hold of academy graduates because they're good backup. That's all Harrison Reed ever was, and that, and that's including the years where we were battling relegation. So. Yeah, you know, I don't mind so much that he went, and you know he's doing all right for Fulham, but he, he's got a ceiling, and um, and yeah, we we've got better players than him. But the, the the long and short of it, mate, is that we don't we're not producing those players anymore. Southampton no longer have one of the best academies in the world. You know, we talk about it a lot, but we haven't had that influx of top players come through since we sold them all to Liverpool. So. And, and 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 there are many reasons you can look at that. You can look at the playbook. Is it too complicated for, for 16, 17-year-olds to be adjusting to? Is it because we're picking, we're cherry-picking players from here, there and everywhere, from across the country or and, you know, abroad as well? You know, Jankovic came from, from Switzerland. Or is it just that it's it's dried up? We, we, haven't, we haven't got the scouts that we used to have. We talk about the scouts for the first team. Do we have the scouts, the local scouts? Do we have the coaches anymore do we have the coaches to facilitate Ralph's philosophy you know it's all well and good that being your philosophy and you knowing it inside out but you go and tell a, a, a coach who's used to doing it another way to do it like this he's he's reading the playbook he's probably having discussions with Arsenal so but he doesn't know exactly what's what and um and clearly it's not working but with such a limited squad and so many injuries you need players who are able to do a job in the Premier League and I'm not sure we've got any. Nathan Teller is probably the best of the bunch but even against Brighton he was completely anonymous um, and I'm not so sure he's a centre forward you know because I'm not sure he's got what it takes in front of goal so I think he's he's more of a winger myself. Yeah he does seem to be more of that 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 wing player and that's where certainly we're, we're trying to play him at the moment and then I think it was against Brighton at the weekend he that he did go out wide and we brought Nathan Redmond on to go up top and that just shows the I mean we've talked about it before it just shows the state of affairs but one player that has come through the academy probably the one that started off the the recent run I guess of top players coming from Saints is of course now 32 year old Theo Walcott I I, I don't know about you mate but I didn't think when we signed him that we'd miss him this much when he was injured no, it's interesting. You say he was the first one of that kind of rich um, plethora of, of good quality youth players that came through. And he came through the day that we got relegated into the championship. He made his debut against Wolves, first day of the season, um, 2005-06 season, after we'd been relegated. So it just goes to show, you know, would he have come through into the Premier League set up so quickly? Who knows? It's, it's so much easier to bring through good youth 
into a first team when the opposition isn't Premier League standard. Talking about Walcott now, just turned 32, his shirt number. And when we brought him in, first and foremost, I don't think any of us thought he would have the impact that he had on the pitch. You know, he, he didn't have a good time at Everton. He hadn't done anything at Arsenal before that for a while. He looked to be just sort of coming home and, you know, almost early retirement, you know, just coming home, living with the, seeing the family. But he, he was brilliant. And I thought we would miss him when he got injured. I didn't think he would have the impact he would have when he joined us. I haven't seen what he did. I don't think we have another player who does what he does. And I think he is hugely important and a really underrated miss. Um, earlier in the season, I remember all the comments from Saints fans with just how brilliant he's been, man of the match for many games, seems to get forgotten quite quickly. And, and I, I think he lost a bit of that form as the team lost a bit of form at the turn of the year. But he was still a huge part of what we did really, really well at the beginning of the season. And he is the only player that plays that wide 10 position that picks it up between the lines on the half turn and drives at defences. And he's a massive part of our game with and without the ball. And he will be a, re a really welcome return for me when he comes back after the international break. I think him on, on one side, Armstrong on the other, um, is really strong for us. Um, and him and hopefully Ings back after the international break in a few weeks. We haven't got a Premier League game until we've obviously got the cup game, which we'll go on to this weekend. And then we've got the international break. So, yeah, when Walcott comes back, I think him and Walker-Peters on that right-hand side were, were a real uh, good combination. And at times he played up front and he played on the left. So, yeah, I, I think he was always going to be a miss when he got injured. Um, and I don't think people quite realise just how big a miss he's been because his it did coincide a bit with our dip in form. The dip started a few games before he got injured. But, you know, the, the what is it, two months since when he got injured hasn't exactly been plain sailing for us. So, yeah, I don't know about you, but <laughs> I really rated what he was doing for us early in the season. I thought he was terrific. Um, and and a major part of the way we played. And it's, I don't think we've really replaced him with even with a Teller or a Gineppo or Redmond. Yeah, and one one thing I've seen is reaction to the defeat was that the players possibly, you know, not playing for the manager, players, players not really caring at the moment. And I suppose it is difficult to really G yourself up for a match when you're losing 10 out of the, your last 12. And one thing that Walcott's return will bring is someone who will play out of someone who really seems to really enjoy being here and you know being back at the club has personal ties to the club he's got a history with the club and he is someone who will give his all when he's back on the pitch and he's a player that will lack Theo Walcott doesn't really know how to take the ball backwards he only knows how to really just drive forward and I think that him playing being back in the side could be the kick that we really need to continue. Yeah, yeah, the passion is the word. I mean, he's um, he, he plays for the shirt and even at the age of 31, 32, he was, he was playing like he, he just started his career rejuvenated um, and, and the effort he put in, I mean, it helps when you're as pacey as he is. You look like you're doing a hell of a lot of work off the ball, but yeah, you do need players like him. He's just turned 32. Fraser Forster just turned 33 today. We need those um, older heads 
to really drag the uh, the inexperienced and youth players forward with them. Uh, because at the moment, you could argue that only really James Ward-Prowse and maybe Vestergaard on that pitch are really players that are dragging players forward. You've got lots of Bertrand who's experienced, but I'm, I'm not sure we're seeing the Bertrand that we've seen of old. But yeah, going forward, we need the likes of, of, of Walcott, Ings when he comes back, those sorts of players to, to really contribute and, and get us out of this rut. Because not only are we in a rut in the league, but we have uh, a cup to, uh, to, to still contest. Yes, yeah, so enough doom and gloom about the league because Saints have a chance to go to Wembley. So, Callum, come on, as bad as it as bad as it can be, you've got to get a bit of cup fever for this weekend. Yeah, absolutely, mate. We've got a, a huge game uh, against Bournemouth. Not only is it a, a, a big game because it's a FA Cup quarter final, but it's it's also against uh, the other lot down the road. They'll it's be a derby. It's a derby. <laughs> <laughs> They'll be up for this, one hundred percent. I mean, imagine how big a game this is for little old Bournemouth. And their fans, they they would give anything to beat Saints in a quarter final to go to Wembley and be one win away from an FA Cup final. That is huge for Bournemouth. Um, I'd love to know where their priorities lie, actually, because they're seventh in the championship. Just came off a win against Swansea um, just yesterday. I was there before. I can't remember where we are in the week, but he that they. The under Woodgate as well, who's got something to prove. I'd, I'd be interested from a Bournemouth fan perspective what they'd rather. They'd rather get promoted to the Premier League or beat Saints and get to a cup final. I Winning saw... it or not, just, just getting to Wembley and getting to the final and stopping Saints from getting to Wembley on the way. I did see a couple of tweets when the draw was made that Bournemouth fans say I would forego promotion this year just mm. to stop them getting to getting them to Wembley. It's it's a weird one for Bournemouth because it's all, it's almost a, it. I'd say people have said it's almost a game that you don't want because you want. I feel that the first season that you're back in the you're back in the Championship is the season to get yourself promoted, and then once you fail, if you fail the first time, then it gets increasingly difficult to get yourself up because you sort of need that. I know, so I think it's an actual word now, but that bounce back ability, as it were. With, Ian Dowie, Soccer AM. That's exactly the, that's what takes you back. Exactly, but Bournemouth. I'd say it maybe if it was the the fifth round or the fourth round. It's still you know it, let's not let's forget it, it, it's it's not the derby, but it's certainly a rivalry that we can't deny that. But, but it's a quarterfinal and there's a chance to go to Wembley, and these chances do not come around that often, especially for you know teams like us, teams like Bournemouth. It's not a regular occurrence. Bournemouth have actually got themselves a bit of a, an injury crisis, so. The um, the onus is on Saints to uh, they they really should be putting them to the sword even with a convincing win against Swansea last night. Bournemouth, here's their crocked list, as it were. They're of course without the goal scoring machine Shane Long. He's he's in he's ineligible. You've got Lewis Cook, who's out with a knee injury, one of their best players this season, and that's a really that's a real shame for him. Actually, I feel for him because he's only just come back from a from a serious injury. Lloyd Kelly has got an abductor strain. 
just as he's been called up to the England 21 squad. Stanislas got injured last night. That's another player out. Jefferson, That's a big plus for Saints, that. Yeah. Jefferson, Jefferson Lerma is suspended. He can't play. <laughs> what a surprise. I know. <laughs> when is he not suspended? <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. I should have put that as just, well, that should have been just a, a, a foregone the, conclusion. He's, he's the walking the red card. He he's is. the Oriol Romeo of Bournemouth, isn't he? And they're also going to be without David Brooks and Adam Smith, not Alan Smith. I got the I got the confused. They definitely do not have the former Arsenal striker available for them. So if I'm being completely honest, this is how I expect Bournemouth to line up. They do have a very good player in goal. Asmir Begovic has refound his form. Jack Stacey played quite well against Swansea. He'd probably be at right back with Diego Rico on the other side. Carter, Cameron Carter-Vickers and Steve Cook. They have two cooks uh, in defence. Billing. Now, hold the, on. Didn't you, yeah. Who is who is it that got injured? Lewis Cook got injured. Cook, Steve Cook. Yeah. So they actually have Jack Wilshire, and I'd imagine he'd be alongside Phil Billing, who scored an absolutely cracking goal last night. Scissor kick, overhead kick, whatever. He's about six foot five. It's going to be a tricky. He's going to be a tricky customer in the middle. It's when you get further forward that it starts to all fall apart because they were really without a lot of creative players. You'd imagine. They've got Raquel May on loan from Atletico Madrid, who hasn't exactly set the championship alight. And whenever he comes on, I don't see much from him. Sam Surridge. Famous last words. First goal scorer. Yeah. yeah. Sam Surridge, not Sturridge. Uh, and Dominic Solanke will probably be up front. Solanke's found his goal-scoring boots in the championship. And then, for me, the danger man, Arnout Danjuma, who's on fire at the moment, playing really, really well. He's everything I wanted Genepo to be. He's a bit more robust. He's certainly confident in taking on his man. I say Genepo because Bournemouth actually signed Dan Juma at the same time, pretty much in the same week that we signed Genepo. And the argument at the time was who had got the better player. And I think at the, at the moment, it probably is Dan Juma. Yes, he's shown his ability in a lower league, but he's someone who definitely blows more hot than cold at the moment. And I think yeah, I he'll mean, be just, the man to look out him. for. Yeah, so Dan, Dan Juma Grunwald, I mean... It's, I'm sure I'm sure Gineppo would would score ten goals um, and get four assists in in twenty five games in the championship, but Dan Juma did nothing. Yeah, it's not like he was signed in the championship. He did nothing in the Premier League. He was he was poor. Um, it's an interesting one for Bournemouth because they're seventh in the league, and the reason for that is inconsistency. They they've got in their last in their recent form they've won three of the last seven. They blow hot and cold. That's practically Premier League winning form compared to Saints. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, three and seven they've, they've won. Um, in their last six home games, they've won four of them. So slightly better at home, which is obviously where this game's going to be. What's strange is that they, they're the second top goal scorers in the Championship, which you kind of expect from Bournemouth because even you know, from under Eddie Howe, they've always been that way. Their second top scorers, Brentford, by the way, are 11 goals ahead of anyone else, which is frightening. Most of them from Ivan Tony, who um, I, like many Saints fans, would, would quite like to see at St Mary's next season if, as it looks, Danny Ings doesn't sign. Um, but you, you'd think, because they're seventh, that their goals conceded would be would be pretty bad. But they're only, they're only sixth in the league uh, for, for goals conceded. So... Obviously, they're not getting hammered, but they're just struggling to find the results they need. A couple of games ago, they played um, Barnsley in the battle for sixth place. 
big old Barnsley and uh, and and that was at the Vitality and Barnsley turned them over and they beat them 3-2. So although they won yesterday to bring themselves to within two points of the playoffs again, they have played an extra game than those above them. I think bar Swansea because they played Swansea, but they beat Swansea 3-0 convincingly. You watched the game and that and and Swansea and no mugs no they're right in the title race. Uh, well, the top two race anyway. I think Norwich are running away with that in the championship. But that is Bournemouth. They don't have a, a huge danger man. I know you're talking about Dan Juma. You say that Solanke's got his got his scoring boots in the championship. I mean, him scoring three goals in a season is getting the scoot, getting the shooting <laughs> boots on. They're, That's bloody nose territory. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're, Solanke is their top scorer in the league and he's got 11 goals in 32 games. So he's a one in three striker. He's joint seventh in the championship scoring charts. And then you've got Stanislas and Dan Juma, Gruenveld, both joint ninth with 10 goals. So you've got Solanke with 11, Dan Juma, Stanislas with 10. So they've got kind of three of the top 12 goal scorers in that league, but none of them are higher than seventh. You know, Tony's got 27 goals, Pukki's got 21. Then it's 19, 18, 16, 14. And then there's a drop down to where Solanke is. So they don't have a talisman. They don't have someone who scores tons and tons of goals. And as you say, you were, you were going through that lineup, and I was thinking to myself, yeah, okay, that's pretty, that's not bad actually. You know, although they have some injuries, I thought it was Steve Cook that got the injury. I thought last week you said Steve Cook. So when I said I didn't really care too much, I think that was partly because I know Steve Cook's uh, thoughts towards Southampton Football Club. Lewis Cook's a tidy player. But when you've got players like Jack Wilshere, who obviously has the pedigree, Billing cost a fair bit of money for them. Begovic has got um, a lot of experience. And then the back four isn't too bad, really. But then as you go forward, missing the likes of Stanislas, obviously no Wilson, no Fraser, as we as we knew in the Premier League. Saints are definitely the side that you'd back to win this on paper. But as I used to say on FIFA, the game's not played on paper anymore, is it? So, it's, I mean, Saints should go there and win. Same as the last, it's very similar to the time we played them last, um, towards the tail end of, of uh, last season in the Premier League, where we all but relegated them. I think we may even have actually relegated them. Um, went, went there and Saints had enough quality to to see it through and do the job. Bournemouth were poor. I could see it being something similar and Saints are definitely in the driving seat. They've got they've got a six days. They've got a longer a longer gap at Bournemouth. I mean Bournemouth played was it last night Bournemouth played? Yeah it was last night yeah. Yeah so so we're recording this on Wednesday. So Tuesday night they played. Saints played Sunday midday. They're playing each other quarter past twelve Saturday. So Long Saints day. got a bigger break. They've got time to recover. That we're aware of, they didn't pick up any injuries. Let's let's let off the confetti cannons and the party balloons <laughs> because uh, it's not very often that Saints come away from a game unscathed. So we've got a, a squad. I don't think anyone's going to come back yet, but we haven't got any extra injuries. So we've got to be going down to, to the Vitality or Dean Court, as we all know it. We've got to be wary, obviously, because Bournemouth will come at us with everything they've got. And they've still got good players. But we're the favourites. You know, let's not get this wrong. We are the favourites to win an FA Cup quarterfinal, despite our form, and go to Wembley. 
this is a huge chance. When 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 that draw came in, everyone wanted Bournemouth. Best case scenario, Saints get Bournemouth. We got them. We could have had City, United, Leicester, Chelsea, any of those big teams. We didn't. We got the team we wanted. So we have to go down there and beat them. And I think we should. I'm not going to say I think we will. I mean, they're not as good as Brighton, but I don't want to get carried away like a lot of fans did and say, oh, yeah, we'll win against Brighton because Brighton are a good side. Bournemouth aren't as good as Brighton. Obviously, they're in a lower league. But for Southampton to have a chance to go to Wembley and find that form late in the season that we had at the beginning of the season, once you've got Ings back, once you've got Walcott back, hoping, touch wood, we don't get more and more injuries Pick up a little bit of form going into a semi-final. Who knows what can happen on the day. Saturday is the, is the next game. Saturday is what we're going to look ahead to. And and Ralph Harsenet has got to be getting his side focused because if they play like they did against Brighton, they'll lose this game. They will. And I, I don't know about you, but when that draw was made, I, I, I pretty much celebrated it like a goal because I thought that's... Uh, and of course, it may come back with egg on our faces, but you're asking for either Bournemouth or Sheffield United and we got on paper the easiest tie could have been easier if we were at home but we you know of the teams that are available we've got there is no excuse whatsoever for us not to be playing at Wembley and if the team can't get themselves up for a potential place at Wembley in the semi-final of the FA Cup then you know what are you doing what are you doing in football and for me, as I said at the beginning of the podcast, this is our last chance to make this season air, rem- remotely different from any other campaign when we finished 15th, 16th. Because I, I don't really see us finishing much higher than 14th or anything like that. This is the game to really, you know, our season has meaning. I still, as again, don't think we'll be relegated, but our scene, as the longer we're in the FA Cup, the more our season has meaning as something bit extra to be excited for and what more could you be excited for than you know Saints appearing at Wembley I remember when we made it against when we made it against Wigan got it got against Chelsea yeah I didn't feel like we were going to get past Chelsea but the fact I think it was Man United Spurs on the Saturday before and I just felt real excitement because I thought Saints are playing in the semi-finals tomorrow I can watch this game and think we could potentially be playing one of these in the final you know it's that excitement and for clubs like us, for clubs like Bournemouth, these chances don't come around that often unless you have like a bit of a purple patch and you have a good you have a good cup run. You've got to really make the most of it. And if we don't go through, I will it'll be crushing disappointment. It really will. Because we've got such a big opportunity here. How different is it this year, Tom? I mean, how from a fan's point of view, but also from the players, because a couple of times when you were talking then, I thought you mentioned about being able to get the motivation to go to to Wembley in the semi-final. It's going to be different. There won't be any fans there. Is it, you know, do you think it's the same from a player's point of view, the motivation to go to Wembley? Because you're, you're playing in an empty stadium. Whether it's Wembley or not, it's not the same thing. It's not what the, all the players would have grown up dreaming of playing at Wembley. So even if, even if not consciously, they're not thinking that, subconsciously, is there less of a motivation? And my second question is, from the fans' point of view, you're talking about the excitement or oh, who could we be playing or semi-final day and everything else. From a fans' point of view, there isn't going to be that same cup fever throughout the city. 
because we're all locked in our homes. You're not going to walk down to the stadium and the, the marching band's going to be playing, you know, getting on your coach or going down the train station or getting up to London and getting in the pubs early and seeing a sea of red and white or a sea of yellow, as we've seen before. We're going to be watching this semi-final either way from home. So from a player's point of view and then from a fan's point of view, how does this year compare with the FA Cup to any other? Well, obviously the fans are a huge part and we've seen that this season. And I think from a player's point of view, when we were playing well, there was nothing and there were no fans. There was n like nothing you could say about the players can't motivate themselves. We, we've, had, we've been playing in these conditions for long enough now that you should be able to get yourself fired up for a game. You've got used to it. The norm at the moment is to not have fans there. It's sad, but true. At the moment, we're used to that. From f fans' perspective, find me any Saints fan that would be disappointed if we were to win the FA Cup without being there. You know, we've won the FA Cup. Yeah, it wouldn't be. It, there would always be that maybe that little pang of, of, of you know that we that we weren't there to to witness it. But if you said to say uh, any Saints fan, Saints go to Wembley, but there's no fans, but you're guaranteed to win the FA Cup. You're going to take that. You take that a hundred times out of a hundred. And yes, it wouldn't, it, it would be disappointing, but for the semi-final, there's meant to be fans at the final if we make yeah. it there. So there is the potential for major cup fever. You know, what, what could be... Not, not many fans though, are there? No. There's going to be a limited capacity. True. I think 10,000, wasn't it? True, but you're then thinking, yes, there's the potential that there might be two home, like that each, each team will get a home game with 10,000 fans to, like at the end of the season. But think think about it. What what could be a better game to return to than an FA Cup final? Saints are playing. There, I I'm I'm really excited. I think if if you if you're not if you as a fan are not getting excited for a potential place in a FA Cup semi final because fans won't be there, then you know you you do you feel how you want to feel. But you know it's an FA Cup semi final. It means the world to stuff like to to, to clubs like us. And I, for one, will be—I'll be gutted if we're if we're not not at Wembley, even 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 with no fans. To play devil's advocate, I I am not sure if it's possible to get cup fever as we know it when you cannot leave the house. You know, you, you might you might—I don't know—if you're listening to the local radio or you're you know you're. You're watching the local news and Saints have got there, but you're not at the game, at the home games every week. That's where you get the that all the away games. That's where you get the cup fever. You know, at this point where Saints fans are singing Kesara Sara, we're going to Wembley or we're on the march. And, you know, everyone's we're there or thereabouts in the league and it's a bit nothing, nothing much happening. And if anything, looking over our shoulders a bit. But we win against Bournemouth and we're going to Wembley and queues are outside St Mary's all the way around St Mary's getting tickets and um, and, and fans are, are, are hoping we can get to that final and then you get the chance to go to an FA Cup final which we haven't been able to do uh, since 2003 and, and, and on the day you know when you go down to St Mary's and get on them coaches or you go down up to get the train and go into those pubs that's what the, that's what it's all about if you can't have fans until cup final day and at that point, the majority of us won't be able to go anyway. I think it's hard to get cup fever. Now, I'm not saying that none of us want to win the cup. You know, if you 
if you get the option of winning it this season, then obviously we're going to take it. But I, I, I think it's it's hard to get as revved up about it as you would in any other year. And and here's a question for you then, and I know it's a hypothetical nonsense really, but if you were given the chance to win the cup, the FA Cup this year, but were told that you'd never be able to see Saints win it again in your lifetime, if we won it this year, would you take it? Well, as a Saints fan, as Saints fans, we, we know how rare a cup win is. So I, 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 I probably would. I probably would because we still we still want a want a cup, but yeah, it, it's a diff, it's a it's a really difficult question. It's a really what what would you what would you do? I don't I don't know I don't know man. That's what I'm asking you. Um, it, it, it's just the the idea that yes, you, you, your side would have it historically in the trophy cabinet, and you'd be able to watch it on TV, and it would be a fantastic day, even from home. You know, watching it on the telly. I'm not sure exactly where we are in terms of restrictions by that point, but I'm sure we could watch it with some mates in the garden somewhere. And you win it, and it's brilliant, and you get pissed up, and you have a great day. But to know that you would then never be able to have the chance to go to Wembley and watch your side win an FA Cup final. I mean, even the FA Cup, even itself, even when Saints aren't involved, you know, your, your memories of the FA Cup final are watching it on the TV when Saints aren't involved. And, you, you know, the guys pitch side or around the stadiums and you can't hear them, you can't hear them talking on the telly because it's so loud and you've got the bloody horns going off. And, you know, I, I always think back to 2003 Millennium Stadium and I was lucky enough to be there. But when you watch it back on, on BBC, um, the recordings and you just, you couldn't hear... You know, the, the guys uh, singing at the beginning, singing um, Abide With Me, I think it was, and, and just kind of grinning at the, the yellow wall and the Southampton fans because they're just so loud. That carnival atmosphere is the best you can describe it. We aren't going to get that, whether you watch it on the TV or you go to Wembley yourself. You're not going to see that this year. And, you know, I would absolutely love it as much as any Saints fan if we won the FA Cup this year. Brilliant. Man alive, I would love to be there to see it happen. And I'd love to be there in a full Wembley to see it happen. I think, I think at the end of the day, I think we would just, what we would all say is bloody brilliant. But isn't it typical that the year that we won it, we weren't able to go there and see it with, with 30, 40,000 Saints fans? Yeah, it would always be sort of the running joke. And I'm sure the blue few from down the road would be saying like, well, yeah, you won the FA Cup, but none of you were, were actually there. So does it really count? Uh, no, no, I, I, I do agree with your point. It wouldn't be the same. It really wouldn't be the same. And fans, we know that fans make all the difference as they have. The emission the of fans this season just makes it football almost seem lifeless in a way. And we yeah. can't... Well, what about sorry? What about from a player's point of view then? So you say getting the motivation to go to Wembley and play an FA Cup semi-final, it is on paper an FA Cup semi-final, but it, it's not as we know it. Is that motivation still there to to play a game at an empty Wembley? You know, what is the knowledge that it's a semi-final and it's for a place in the final? You know, I, I get that. Once you're there, knowing that you're going to, you've got. A, a chance to be in the final of the FA Cup 
and there will be some fans. I get the motivation at the semi-final. But do you think with the players that we have and the kind of mentality that we've seen recently, do you think you're going to see the hunger and the fire in their bellies to beat Bournemouth on Saturday, knowing that they can go to Wembley and play in an empty stadium in FA Cup against a team that's probably going to be better than us? When you put it like that, it you find it difficult to get yourself motivated for. I think I think you have to because they're professional players and football players' careers are short. And the t- unless you are the cream of the crop, the chances of winning a trophy don't come around very often. And we, we've seen it from players leave because they want to go to a club that has better opportunities to win something. And it takes a very special player to stick with one club and stick with that level of ambition and a lot of players want to you know finish their career and we we argue about there's no loyalty but every player wants to finish their career and look back and think I won that I won that I played a part in winning that I got top scorer or whatever so I think if they can't get themselves motivated and think about the level of player that we have at the moment the chances of them going to massive clubs winning those competitions well chances of getting the move in 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 itself uh, is quite limited at the moment especially if they continue playing how they are so the chances of winning a competition is is not likely to come around very often in their careers and this is a time where they've got to they've got to really take it and i will just continue to bang the drum of if you're not getting yourself motivated for a potential place in a semi-final, yes, it's going to be an empty stadium. But like I said, if the players have gotten used to that now. Then you're in. Then you're you're in the wrong sport. Yeah, and 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 from a player's point of view as well, like you said, we've got a lot of players that haven't had the chance, or maybe won't get the chance to get a winner's medal in any sort of competition. There'll be players in that team who whether they're playing in front of fans or not, know that they've got the chance to get an FA Cup winner's medal that they'll always have. And to get that in the, you know, in the FA Cup final, fans or no fans, they, they should all be clever enough to realise the opportunity that they've got against Bournemouth as well. You know, no offence to Bournemouth, but we've got a championship side, the best draw possible in the FA Cup quarterfinal for a chance at a one-off game to get to the final. Now, if we do that, then suddenly, I mean, the other the other side of the coin is we do have some players that have won trophies before as well. And it does put you in a little bit of a decent position when you've got players who know what it takes. You know, I think of Walcott, one, uh, Bertrand, won big games, won, won lots of silverware. Armstrong and Forster with, with Celtic would have won a lot of silverware. Well, yeah. Or tinware or whatever it is that they play for up there. Tupperware. Um, Tupperware. <laughs> yeah. So uh yeah, you've you've got you've got players like that. And then you've got that coupled with the the hunger of the players like Carl Walker Peters, who has been at a club who's never able to win anything. And uh and 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 the players that play for Saints, um the, the you know the James Will Prowse had a chance to to lift the trophy for his for his Saints side. He'll be dreaming about the opportunity of having the ball 25 yards out with a free kick in the last minute for a chance to to win to win the trophy. And you just know what's going to happen is the ball's going to hit the crossbar, bounce, tiny, tiny bit will still be on the line the, the, and the technology won't go. 
uh, won't go off. And you know, that's just that is just one of what is no, going to happen. No, what will, what will happen is we will have a goal disallowed for offside to open the scoring only for VAR to come in and do what we needed back in 2017, redemption of the Gabbiadini, where we get that goal given to us and we and we do win the trophy. That's that's what we'll see. Full circle. We're all crying out for technology and we finally get it. They pan yeah, to the VAR will... room and it's Gabbiadini taking off a mask. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's, I mean, we've done this, that, that debate to death, I think, to be mm. honest, mate. But yeah, it's just a really interesting one because mm. in terms of, you won't have the cup fever as we know and love you won't have the kind of carnival atmosphere and and real community uh, that's what a cup always brings around right. St Mary's you know e e even when we got to the semi-final of Mark Hughes and we were facing a relegation battle just that yeah there was there's so much going on around the city and you know we, you said earlier you know us and Bournemouth don't get the chance to go to Wembley very often well we, we've been fortunate we have been we, you know, we have been uh, over the last decade you know a, a, a few times um i myself have been on a number of occasions so bournemouth on the other hand wouldn't have had the chance yeah they might get the chance in the playoffs at the end of the season but the fa cup's a different story and here's a question for you right now then is because you've been bigging up this game for weeks and weeks and weeks now is, is this the be all and end all for our season and you know if we lose on saturday where does that leave us I think it is the be all and end all for our season because what is there to if we if we lose and go out what is there left to achieve apart from maybe finding survival well survival I don't yeah but I don't think I don't I still don't think we're going to get relegated because I feel that we're going to get enough points for, especially from the next three to warrant if we lose to if we lose to Bournemouth we've just been outplayed by Brighton we lose to Bournemouth imagine where you know putting ourselves in that mentality we've just watched us Saturday afternoon lose to to a championship side in Bournemouth in a mm. game where we could have taken ourselves to the cup final from a couple of games, a nice run. We lose that. Twitter's going to be rife with if we can't beat these lot, where you know, how are we going to beat anyone else? We are right in the relegation mix, Ralph out, all this sort of stuff's going to happen. Do you then look at it and say seven points with the resurgent Fulham team? It, you know, is is seven points enough yeah if we can't beat Bournemouth who can we beat I no there's a, it, it is a it is a good question I think that the research the return of Ings and Walcott we have a bit of a break with the international break that uh, it might just be blind optimism here but it's a good point I mean it's, it it's a good point it's a good point mate because you're right you know that's the, that's another question is win or lose Ralph's talked about the fact that he's going to have a couple of weeks with his players the majority of them aren't going to go abroad to play so he's going to have most of his squad available to him he won't have he won't have Che Adams because he's now Scottish he might not have uh, he might not have James Ward Prowse those sorts of players the odd one here and there but he's going to have the majority of his squad and he's been crying out for a couple of weeks not just rest but training ground mm. automatisms the same things we hear that he hasn't had for a long, long time since when we were winning games frequently. That that's an opportunity for us to turn it around. But if we don't beat Bournemouth, then you're at that point Saturday afternoon. You're kind of playing on playing on the probability that we've got so many games left. Surely we'll get enough points because that's all you're going to be going off at that point, right? It is, and I, I stay. I stand by my point of ask me 
about whether I fear relegation at the end of the, the Crystal Palace match. Those three games, as I said, if we got three points or less, then then yes, I'm going to start to be worrying. Because let's not forget, yeah, we're seven points ahead. We're on 33 points and all it takes is one win, you know, or a, a win, and, win and a draw. And then suddenly you're clawing yourself even closer. And if we were to get four points out of those three games, however we do it, that, still, that, that puts us on 37 with seven games to go and you'd be pretty confident. I do know, not pretty confident because Saints have lost 10 out of their last 12. But you'd be, you'd almost like to just be trying to convince yourself that you would get three points out of those 12. Because that's not good if runner Fulham are on. They've still got a hellish run of fixtures towards the end of the season. I think they play four out of their last five fixtures in, in May, pretty much against teams up and around the top. So yeah, yeah, yeah. They're still, we're still waiting for Fulham like, to go down. We've still got Fulham to overtake us, and then all of the teams below us to overtake us. Yeah. It's not That's like the point as well. That's the yeah, point. It's not it's... just Fulham. You got Newcastle, yeah. Brighton, who we've just played, Burnley, who we have to play. Mm. You know, all of those. You know, I think Newcastle are probably in more trouble than Fulham are. So uh, we need we need to be looking at all of those teams to to catch us. Yeah, you know, they're, they're yeah. all seven six, five points behind us. The, the Brighton, not six-pointer, but the fact that they won, it's also mean, it also means they got closer to us, which is exactly. helpful. Yeah, so I, so from, from that point of view, at the moment, as things stand, I'm not worried about relegation. I'm worried about our form. I'm not worried about relegation at the moment because I still think that we'll have enough in us to scrape ourselves over the line. So in answer to your question at the start, yes, this is the be-all and end-all of our season. If we don't win, as I said, the longer we're in the cup, the longer our season has meaning. Once we're out of the cup, it's just going to be a case of getting those nine fixtures out of the way. And that is going to be a really, really disappointing end to a season that started off so, so well. Are you, um, if we, we mentioned it slightly earlier, but if we don't win on Saturday, are you Ralph out? I think that will be a huge turning point for a lot of people, um, a lot of Saints fans, because like you said, the season's dead without this cup run we're all hanging on to the yeah we've lost 10 in 12 yeah we've gone from top six to bottom six blah 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 playing awfully but we're still in the cup and you said it enough times we could finish 17th but if we win the cup or if we get to the final of the cup or you know that's that's kind of that's been the, the saving grace almost is that we're still in a cup competition yeah. with a real chance of getting to the final four so if that dissipates and that's gone and we are left with, what is it, eight games left of the season? Something like that. Nine, um, eight, nine games, yeah. Eight, nine games of the season. And nothing to play for other than getting getting five or six points, hopefully, to see us over the line. After Bournemouth, do you th would you say that would be Ralph's time to go? Does he have to win this game to survive in your book? Or do you think, actually, we need enough points to stay up but then at the end of the season would maybe be the time for him to go. Or are you going to say, you know, we're sticking by Ralph anyway, regardless? I think if we were to lose, it'll be the closest I'll be to Ralph out because I would, there would just be so much disappointment. But I would still give it, I'd still believe that he can do something here. And I would say, assuming we lose, still give him the summer and really go for it. Just we've, we keep on hearing from. You know, Ralph saying, look, we've got to invest massively in the summer and I'd want to see what would happen. And I want to see us actually really back him and see what what could happen. So because okay. I, I feel Ralph with a large squad 
and a bigger a bigger squad with better players could be something really exciting. And we we saw at the start at the start of the season what what can happen when you've got all your best players fit. That's what it's not a case of we've been as I put on I put in a tweet like it's not a case of that we've just been crap to below average for the majority of the season and we've just sort of dipped in around lower mid table and got some results here and got some results there. We put on together a great run. We played some sensational football, and it got this. You got the fans believing, and that's why I think there's so much disappointment because we've gone, you've gone from you know pretty much to the top of the roller coaster, and we're now right at the the very bottom, as it were. And it's a case of there's no in between. It's either we're either very good, or we've been atrociously bad. So it is that. In answer to your question, from I think it was halfway through the pod, revisiting that that could form at the start of the season does make me want to keep him because it's a sign of what we can achieve. If we lose at the weekend, real major disappointment. And I would certainly be grumbling about Ralph. It depends on, t- depends on how we lost as well. But I, 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 it's, because, it's interesting. It's interesting because yeah. I was wondering, I was going to say to you, at what point does that hope, does that hope, that no, I know what Ralph can do. At what point does that fizzle out? And do do you no longer believe that it's possible but for you it's it's whether he does or doesn't get investment just interesting really side note and we'll talk about it really briefly but did you hear what Simon Jordan said on TalkSport about being approached by a number of consortiums for Saints takeover and saying that the Southampton's finances are in disarray I did I did see a quote briefly I can't remember it word for word but if that is you know if that's true then it's not good, but then it, it, it's 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 worse than not good. But also, you know, I think a lot of football clubs are going to be in the same position. Thank you very much for listening. If you want to find the podcast, you can find it on Twitter at under underscore saints. You can find me at T214Murray. Yep, you can find me at Callum Wilson 21. Thanks uh, very much for listening. Uh, stay safe. Stay wonderful. <laughs>